Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is a legend in a Las Vegas bookmaking scene. He's ran Caesar's Palace for over a decade. He's currently found on VEASAN. Please welcome Vinny Maiulo. Hey Vinny, how you doing? Spanky, happy new year to you, buddy. I appreciate the kind words and the introduction and uh, look forward to, to chatting with you today and uh, sharing some insights with uh, with your listeners. I appreciate it, Vinny. So let's start from the beginning. How was life growing yeah. up? Well, you're from Brooklyn, right? Yeah, I, I grew up uh, in Brooklyn and, and on Long Island, Spanky. So, you know, it, and, and as you know, you know, growing up, especially uh, in, on the East Coast, uh, there was always uh, horse racing was always very popular uh, back uh, back in the uh, in the 60s and uh, even into the 70s. Uh, of course, uh, the Great Triple Crown runs uh, by uh, Secretariat and those races with Affirmed and Aldo always had an interest for me. And I had uncles who, <laughs> by the, by their own admission, probably paid for any renovations at Belmont and Aqueduct Park by virtue <laughs> of their contributions. Uh, and at an early age, uh, they used to take me to the track. In fact, I made my first uh, race bet uh, when I was eight years old. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget my my uncle Tony, who was he was he was the notorious one in the family, uh, who who took me kind of took me under his wing and. We run all over Coney Island, and, and my aunt would say, "My aunt would say to him, all right, we're going to eat, and uh, we're going to get ready to eat. Go get a loaf of bread.' So you know, and, and back back at, in in those days, everybody had you know their specialty store. You had your your, your bakery, your cheese store, your pork store. That were you know we didn't do a whole lot of shopping in uh, in supermarkets and things like that. So she'd say, "Go get a loaf of bread." Well, we go get a loaf of bread. We go right by the bread, by the bakery and go out to the track and come home two hours later. <laughs> she didn't miss a beat. She 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 acted like we just went for five minutes. I was thinking to myself, "We're gonna we're in hot water already." So sure enough, we come back in and we just say, "I'm thinking to myself, wow, look at this." So uh, I also had a buddy whose dad was a mutuals manager for for Naira at the time. So uh, you know, there was always. Uh, horse racing uh, in in the newspapers. It was uh, the uh, radio. The results were on radio every day. But uh, from the sports side, Spanky, the real uh, you know the real bell went off for me when uh, I'll never forget getting the Daily News and I'm looking back in 1969 and and I see the picture of Joe Namath at Super Bowl three, and he says we're, we're we're going to win the game. I guarantee it. And, and there's the, you know, the the headline part of the headline was Jets, eighteen point dogs versus Colts. So I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I'm like, wow. Well, I said, hey Pop, let me ask you something. Let me get this straight. What what exactly what exactly does this mean? And he shakes his head. He looks at me. He says, well, what the what's your what's your what your uncles, what your uncles' buddies are saying <laughs> is that the Jets, uh, the Jets are uh, eighteen point underdogs. They think that the the Colts are going to uh, favor to win this game by at least eighteen points. So I paused for a second. And I said, "So, Pop, let me get this straight. We could lose, but we could still win." He says, "Stop hanging around with your uncle Tony. I'm telling you right now, that's <laughs> normal." 
<laughs> so it was the new math that I understood, you know, Spanky. And let's face it, back then, uh, the odds were, you know, they were they were well documented. They were posted in the paper all the time. The Mets were were uh, were a great story, great underdogs in 1969. The Knicks, uh, when they won the title in, in in 1970, their first title. Uh, you know, Rangers had a, had a good hockey team. So the odds were always talked about, and they were well chronicled. So uh, it was something that interested me. And then, of course, naturally, uh, I went to uh, I had a good parochial education. And and what was every fundraiser at, at Catholic school? Think B- about yeah, it. Bingo, bingo, <laughs> bingo <laughs> Vegas nights, raffles. Yeah. I'm thinking to myself, well, there's got to be something to this. So <laughs> it was uh, it was something that. Uh, uh, that, that that struck me. Uh, it was something that interested me, and I, and I paid very close attention to it. So, uh, and along the way, it helped pay for a, a little tuition. <laughs> so, oh, that's great. I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm happy to say that it was. Uh, I, I was fortunate to get a uh, a very specific and structured uh, education in the classroom, but I also uh, utilized uh, you know the neighborhood and. Hanging around a little bit to, to be wise, I had some good advice, and uh, I used uh, used that to, uh, to to gain my knowledge as well. So street smarts—that's you, you alluded to—and and gambling. That's just a way of life growing up in that area. Um, do you think that, given that you grew up in, in Brooklyn, Long Island, you were able to get that that leg up that a lot of guys that didn't grow up in this area didn't have? Uh, you know that. That, that's a that's an excellent question and it and it's an important question and and I'll and I'll tie it in this way. Um, I always realized it, it occurred to me uh, and and again you know uh, there were guys that would would I'd pay very close attention. I tried to be observing, you know, Spanky, because you hang around the street. Everybody who who's always making the money, right? The guys the guys taking the action, whether it was OTB or the track itself. Uh, or somebody you know down uh, down the local uh, neighborhood bar or wherever you went, uh, you know they they always they were always the ones making the money. So that struck me. Uh, I realized that, that you had to be disciplined and you, you know making you know making bets just for the sake of making bets didn't make sense. And I went through that phase. I figured I was smarter than everybody, right? And then I learned the hard way. Then I realized, hey, wait a second. You know why? Why is why is the guy with with the cards every week still got the cards for for the for every season that, that comes up, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, it it occurred to me that uh, discipline was was absolutely necessary. And just to fast forward it uh, a bit, when when I came to uh, Las Vegas, uh, I learned that. That discipline had to be applied from from various places around the country. So for me, growing up in the New York metropolitan area was was a great learning experience. When I came to Las Vegas, and the first time I came to Las Vegas was in 1971. I came for a summer to visit. Uh, this, this, this is a true story. My godfather was living out here at the time, and he was a musician. But I ran all over town with him, and it was easy because... Uh, you know, it wasn't as big a town, and it wasn't as structured. It wasn't as strict. And uh, I learned from uh, from just being around him and going to to various hotels and uh, little places downtown. You know, Jackie Gone was downtown. Uh, he owned half of downtown uh, down on Fremont Street. 
I was like, wow, this, you know what? There's sharp guys from all over the country. And then when I finally moved here in 1978, uh, you know, then working for Michael Gone uh, at the time and, and being exposed to guys from other parts of the country, you know, uh, from Pittsburgh, from uh, Youngstown and Steubenville, Ohio, uh, it, it, it made me realize there was a consistency in terms of A, the house edge, and B, being disciplined. Uh, so I paid very close attention to that and tied it all together and, and realized that uh, that was something that, that you had to had to absolutely, those were the things you really had to pay close attention to. Wow, fascinating. So you come to Vegas in 71 to visit your godfather. Is that, yep. is, did something, you know, spark saying, hey, listen, I gotta, I gotta move here. I, this is where I want to yep. spend the rest of my life. What bug yeah. bit you? What happened there? What was the moment? So, well, there was a couple of moments. So think <laughs> about this. As I mentioned, at the time in 71, uh, I come out here. My uncle's a musician, and he's, he's, he was a drummer, and he would take me with him. He had a steady, a steady gig at a place called the Landmark. Now, the Landmark is no longer there because we do such a good job of preserving our history. <laughs> do we blow everything up and build something new? Yeah. So, so the Landmark, Spanky, was a, uh, was a hotel. And it was a tower, actually. It was a it was a tower, probably about a quarter of the size of what the stratosphere is now. But it it, it was on Paradise Road, across from the convention center or the uh, the hotel that's now the the Westgate. And he had a steady gig up there, so he had a set of drums up there. But during the day, he would work what he called casuals, and he would go to a convention or he'd go to a uh, he'd go to a, a one of the a strip hotels, and uh, he 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 would you know, set up his drums and he would do a, a quick gig and then get back to the household. And I would go with him to set him up. So one day we go to a place, he goes, hey, listen, we're going to go to this, uh, we're going to go to this hotel here and uh, I got to do this gig. Uh, but, but you know, whatever you do, you know, you, you're going to see some, some pretty ladies. You're going to see some pretty girls. So just don't tell your mother about it. So said, oh, sure. All right. Great. So we're driving and we're driving down the strip and everything. And, uh, you know, looking at the hotel, which were there weren't that many. It was obviously there was uh, the flamingo and all. And I see Caesar's Palace. I see. I said, "Wow, look at that! Look at that place, uh, Uncle Dom. Look at the, my, Michael's name was Dominic." I said, "Uncle Dom, look at that place." He goes, "That's the that's the palace. That's Caesar's. That's the place." And we're driving. I said, "You know what? I, I'm going to work there one day." Wow. And he just he just smiled at me and he, and he and he left. He goes, "Yeah, okay, okay, so okay, kid." How old are you at the you time? Know, I was 14. Wow. I was 14 years old, thank you. And we're driving and I'm looking at the sands and everything. So we pull into this hotel. And uh, the next thing you know, he's setting up his drums and, and he's introducing me. And it was it was, it was was Minsky's burlesque show. <laughs> so here I am. I'm the cute little nephew. And I got... I got all of these. Oh, they're so they're Richard. And oh, he's so cute. They're rubbing me. Meanwhile, I got you know, I got, I got mozzarella's in my face. <laughs> and, you know, and they weren't the ones in the in in, in the cheese store either. I'm like, oh, this is this is this is unbelievable. I can't wait to get home. I'm gonna, what, 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 I can't wait for the first assignment. What did I did on my summer vacation? There I am, little Vinny's running up and down. So remember, when we leave the place. And uh, needless to say, uh, my mother called that. What'd you do today? I went with Uncle Don. When we went, he, oh yeah, what'd you do today? Where'd you go today? And he's, you know, he's making, he's gesturing off, you know, off the phone, like, don't say, don't say, I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, I said, we went to this place. 
He goes, yeah, what, what was the what was today's show? I said, some guy named Minsky. Put him on the phone. <laughs> ah, she read on the right. I said, I didn't tell her what, what it was about. She goes, she knows. Your mother knows. Needless to say, uh, I came back to, to New York that summer, and I knew I was going into high school at the time. And uh, I was going into St. Anthony's High School at the time. Was out on uh, out on Long Island in Smithtown. It was a uh, it was a college prep school. At one time, it was uh, a prep school for Franciscan brothers. And uh, I knew then uh, I was uh, I was you know I had made up my mind. I said you know when when I grad when I get done and the time comes I'm going to go. So I finished high school. I finished junior college on uh, Long Island as well out at uh, out at Suffolk. And then I transferred to UNLV in uh, 1977-78. I was going to UNLV during the day, and I was going to Michael Gaughan and Frank Toady's Dealing School by night. And uh, they hired me uh, in uh, November of 1978. And uh, within three months, I transferred. They transferred the uh, Barbary Coast Open in March of 1979. And uh, March 2nd, 1979 was opening night. And... Uh, I learned uh, the business there. Uh, the great thing about working for Michael Gaunt Spanky was that he he it, it didn't have a name, it didn't have a specific structure, uh, but he had the first what I consider to be cross training program in the in the business. And and here's what it was: make sure you're good at what I hired you for, and then learn what you want. So where was I hanging out on every break? I was a dice dealer. But every break, I was in the book, and I knew it, and I understood it, and um, certainly, uh, you know, I was. That's where I met actually Jimmy Vicaro and uh, Chris Andrews. Uh, was uh, working for Michael Gaughan and, and a bunch of the other guys in the industry, and then, uh, y- you know, the books started to really take off in terms of popularity and in terms of availability, Spanky, because back in uh, Back before 1974, you know, the, the tax on sports wagers was extremely high. It was 10% at one time. Well, there weren't that many uh, sports books around town. I mean, you know, if you if you were getting down, you were getting down with independent guys, uh, just like just like back you know when I was growing up. But uh, what what took place in uh, in 1974 uh, that. Uh, Senator uh, Senator Cannon Howard Cannon, he helped get the re- rate reduced uh, on on the uh, on the federal tax for sports wagers to two percent. So that was 1974. There were a few more places, but they were they were independents. You know, places like the Rose Bowl, uh, Churchill Downs. There were a couple of places downtown in 1976 to start us. Uh, Frank Rosenthal put the first sports book in a, a strip hotel casino, and then uh, shortly thereafter, seventy-seven, the little place called the Castaways, which is uh, which is no longer there either. It, it's uh, it's where the Mirage now is. They had a little uh, a little counter in there. Of course, Michael Gaughan had one at the Royal Inn, but that was off the strip. And then when Michael opened the Barbary Coast in uh, nineteen seventy-eight. He put a book in there, and all the high rollers from Caesar's Palace, the dunes at the time, which is the dunes stood where the mirage is. 
uh, and then the original MGM, which is now Bally's, all those customers, all those high rollers, especially when Caesars had a fight, all wound up in the Barbary Coast to make their sports bets. So they started to think about putting sports books in. Now you fast forward to 1983, the federal tax on sports wagers was reduced again from 2% to where it is now at a quarter of 1%. And the reason I bring this up, Spanky, is because that's when everybody on the strip said, listen, now we got to get into the business. You know, the margins, even though they're, they're short, it's better because of that tax being reduced. I had an opportunity then, uh, a buddy of mine was working, Again, I'll, I go back to my first trip driving down Las Vegas Boulevard, and now in 1986, a buddy of mine says, you know this stuff, we're expanding, come on over. And uh, that's when I started working at Caesars Palace. Wow. So, oh, man, there's a lot to intake there. This is so, so, <laughs> <that's> just <laughs> unbelievable. No, 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 dude, you're not, I, I, it's just respect. like, holy, this is just great stuff. Um, so 74, when it goes from 10% to 2%, is there a run? It's it, it, it still, uh, we're, st- everybody, we're always dealing 110, right? Is, is 110, uh, yes. always de- so, so 110 at 10% is, is just, it's like, it's, it's, it's hard to make money. When you get to 2%, sure. then was there a run, was there a little bit of a rush? I know the big rush was in 83, but in 74, was there a rush around the whole town saying, hey, listen, 2%, we could work with this? Yeah, well, again, I'll go to 76 when uh, when Frank Rosenthal said, you know what, we're going to build this big, beautiful sports book. And he put in, a, a at, at the time, uh, it it was enormous. It was big. It had electronic, uh, as much of electronic boards as possible, but they still had the wall boards. They started televising games. Uh, that was the first one, Spanky, really, that uh, that took off. They started putting some downtown. Jackie, uh, Jackie Gaunt put, uh, put a book in down at the plaza because he owned the plaza as well as the El Cortez. Uh, he already had a book down at the El Cortez. But it wasn't an enormous run, because the other part that was was uh, was problematic was they couldn't find licensed entities. They could, or, or got, you know, they couldn't, people couldn't get licensed. Because everybody that was getting into the business, you know, uh, they, they couldn't pass certain background checks and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, they were they were qualified. They oh, were great. Course. They were honorable guys. I got to tell you, I mean, flat out. I mean, it's a, as you know, this is a gentleman's business. I think that's what gets lost uh, by by a lot of people, uh, especially when you start uh, getting uh, extremely corporate uh, and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, uh, it's it's an honorable business, uh, and and the best operators understand that, and you know, uh, you know. Kind of, you have to explain it. you got to say, listen, uh, you know, what's always worked for me, Spanky, is this. Look, um, you know, when I get a request, if I can't do it, I'll say, I, that's, I can't do that, but here's what I can do. And I think that's what people appreciate, too, because if you're being straight up and being consistent, then I think that's what, uh, you know, what, what could help set you apart and create good business. But I know it's a little bit long-winded, but it kind of tie, I try to tie in all these points from a perspective uh, that, that gets back to that historical point. But it, it really didn't start until uh, after 74 when, when Michael Gaughan, Michael Gaughan made a statement uh, when he when he had that book at the Barbary Coast. By the way, the Barbary Coast, the building is still there, but uh, for the folks that are listening now, it is the building 
that is the Cromwell, which is on the uh, the corner of Las Vegas Boulevard and Flamingo, directly opposite Caesar's Palace. And when all those big players were coming in, not only for the big fights, but every Sunday uh, and for, for uh, NFL football, and then when college football started to get more exposure on TV, then the other resorts realized, "Wow, this is this is unbelievable. This is you know we got we have to put we have to put one of these uh, in our hotels," and and that's what they started to do. But it really, and they were a bit more corporate too, and so they actually. Uh, really, uh, then they started to expand them, and then just about every place had to have one, especially when uh, the rate got reduced in in, uh, in 1983 to a quarter of 1%. So m- most of these resorts had the sports book uh, as an add-on. Were there still, was it still prevalent to have just freestanding sports books back then? Yeah, there, was, there were a few, and I would say uh, what happened to... Downs and the Rose Bowl. Um, Bill Dark had a place, the Del Mar in North Las Vegas. Um, they, uh, when when their owners started to, they lost personnel because there were there were guys working in some of those places that could get licensed and were hired by uh, by the hotels. Uh, people started to migrate to the hotels, and uh, those places started to go belly up. I'd say the last independent one. Bill Dark passed away. Um, and um, and then nobody nobody uh, uh, took over that operation. He didn't leave it to anybody. I'd say the last one was probably Gene Mayday, uh, who had Little Caesars. Gene Mayday uh, was an old school bookmaker, uh, and um, that that place existed. Uh, today it was a little strip mall where uh, uh, the Paris Hotel is. Uh, it was a little strip mall there, and uh, anybody, <laughs> he kind of he. He, he he loved Caesar's Palace, and he knew it had uh, name brand recognition. And what he did was say, well, "Okay, well, I'm going to call mine Little Caesars." And it was across the street. And Gene was a character too, because he was old school, and uh, he he made no bones about taking big bets. But he also uh, he was a customer too at, uh, of mine at Caesar's because he he did things uh, the old school way. If he needed a layoff, he 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 laid off. If he wanted to get down, he got down, and he didn't bet his own place. He was gambling his own money, uh, so. Uh, but the team was a character, and those characters you you, you learned a lot from those guys too. And uh, you always uh, found I found them to be very respectful. But that would probably that was probably the last of the independents uh, in Las Vegas. And now and then every you know every one of them went to uh, uh, a hotel. Wow, so, so this is good stuff, and I'm just trying to picture it all. You know, this is before my time, and I hear so many stories. That, that Little Caesars, everybody would always tell me Little Caesars had a really, really sharp number, and um, they, they, did. they had a. Gene was sharp. He was very sharp. So you go to when do you when do you uh, go from the Barbary Coast to Caesars? When when do you start at Caesars? So uh, my buddy, uh, my buddy. Uh, was working one of my, I had uh, several uh, several of my friends uh Art Manteris who runs Station Casinos was running Caesars at the time he left the Barbary Coast to run uh, o- over to Caesars Chrissy Andrews left at an opportunity uh with the recommendation of Jackie Gone to go up to Calneva and Chrissy went to up north uh Jimmy Vaccaro was still uh at the Barbary Coast and uh, a buddy of mine named uh, uh, Jim Mastriani, who was actually uh, uh, Jimmy Vaccaro's cousin, uh, 
uh, was working for Art Man Terrace over at Caesars, and uh, they said, "Look, you, you know this. We're gonna we're gonna add on to the book. Come on over." So uh, Art uh, and Jimmy called me. Then Art had an opportunity right at that time to go to the Las Vegas Hilton, who decided. And again, that's the Westgate now. Uh, Art had an opportunity to go there because they were going to build uh, what eventually became the Superbook. So he left. Jimmy was in charge. Uh, another Brooklynite named uh, Lou D'Amico was running the uh, the sports book. He said, we need somebody. Jimmy said, I got the perfect guy. Uh, I went over there. Uh, Art then tried to recruit me away, and they uh, they kept me. They, they, they made me an offer. And uh, within a month, I was the assistant manager. Uh, in August of '86, uh, by the time football rolled around, I was the assistant manager, and then I worked my way up to uh, VP. I was there until 2000. Unbelievable. Um, so I love the camaraderie, how everybody's looking out for everybody else. It wasn't, you know, even though you guys were competitors, everybody still would hook each other up and say, hey, listen, I got a great guy for you. And these guys, mm-hmm. everyone's running separate businesses. But like you said, this is a gentleman's business, and everybody would still look out for everybody. I love hearing stuff like that. Yeah, it's um, it's um, it definitely has a, a bit of a fraternity Field, Spanky, you know. Now there were there were some very sharp women involved as well too. I have to be honest with you. I tell you what, one of the one of the uh, sharpest horse racing bookmakers. Now uh, I'll tell you a little bit about horse racing to tie into this that, that you'll appreciate. It was, you know, at, at the time, horse racing was not paramutual in in Nevada. Horse racing was not paramutual in Nevada until late 1991. So think about this. Back then, when I got into business too, we were booking horse races and let me tell you it, there were some some of the sharpest people in the country knew you know they knew a lot of things they knew had lock cues they had everything the horse racing was 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 very difficult it was very challenging to to beat uh even though you know it, it was it was it was not a 50 50 proposition just laying 11 to 10 like a football game but let's face it you know they were they were jockeys uh if, you know, as a, as a better, if you know you you had information on a particular uh, track and track bias and workouts and things like that, who was who was putting a horse in a particular race that was wired for the race, um, that was just a good information. And there were betters that had terrific information. I'm not saying they were they weren't fixed or anything. They were just they were just dead on with their information. It was better than ours. So booking the races was treacherous. There was a lady. She passed away. Her name was Catherine Mannix. She she was as sharp a, a, a race bookmaker as, as I ever saw. So uh, I, I do want to give a, a, a shout out and a credit to some of the ladies over the years of the industry who uh, uh, were, were part of the. While it was a fraternity, there were uh, we had we had a few uh, sorority sisters involved too that were uh, that were outstanding and. Uh, uh, helped us uh, along the way. Yolanda Acuna uh, over at the uh, uh, Mirage now. She's probably she may very well be the senior member of this industry. She's uh, she's been in this uh, in the sports business for as long as any any of us and does a terrific job. But by and large, it is an industry that because think about this, Spanky. Before let's say a Don Best type service. You had to literally get on the phone with your colleagues and say, "Hey, what kind of action are you seeing on this?" Or, you know, what's happening? There was no automated uh, 
uh, transmission of lines and wagering information. You had to rely on being a, on relationships to say, "Hey, listen, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, are you seeing this kind of action on this number, or what are you at? Where are you at on this game, and what's happening, and things like that." So um, there had to be that uh, mutual respect, that communication, and and that trust. And frankly, that's uh, that serves me well in dealing with with customers, particularly customers who were very proficient uh, at uh, at betting, because that was valuable information. And uh, some betters were exceptionally proficient, say, in boxing, uh, and uh, who was good in baseball, who was good in football, college football, pro football, college basketball, things like that. So. Um, you can't act like you know everything, uh, because if you, if you think you know everything, you know less than you really do know. And, uh, being a good communicator and being straight up with people on both sides of the counter is something I think is, is a valuable lesson. And, uh, if there was one thing I, I try to teach, uh, the next generation, that's it. Uh, in some cases though, it's, uh, <laughs> Some people seem to think it's black and white in a textbook, but uh, that, that does not that's not the case. You, uh, you, you to to your credit, Vinny, you know I've 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 asked several people, and, and you've been described as very honest, really fair, very honorable. And um, I, I appreciate you know, that. And, no, no. And so uh, you know, I know you told me the story, and, and and our buddy Jeff Whitelaw told me the story. I think it's a great story about how the 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 bookie and the better relationship doesn't have to be confrontational. It could be symbiotic. It could be we could, we could help each yes. other, and we could be gentlemen. Could you share that story? Because I love that story. Sure. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, Jeff's a, a friend uh, as well as a respected member. To, uh, of the com- of, of the sports betting community, and that's that's the way I look at it. So it's um, it was the uh, it, it was the Jordan run with the Bulls, Spanky, and it was the uh, it was the '90s, and uh, I think it was actually his uh, his second run uh, with with the Bulls after he came back from baseball. You know, Jordan Michael Jordan didn't miss game. There was no load management back then, especially for a guy like Jordan. I mean, for, for Michael Jordan to, to miss a game, it was, it had to be something pretty significant, pretty, pretty serious. I mean, you saw the guy, you know, he was one of those guys that took IVs at, you know, at halftime of games to, to, to get himself, uh, to keep himself in the game and things like that. So one day, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm at work and, uh, Richie Bachelary was uh, was the was the manager for me. I and again I, I work with Rich. I don't say Richie worked for me. Richie's a dear friend, a very respected colleague, and a, a very sharp uh, odds maker and bookmaker. To this day, he's with Stadium Technology Group now, uh, which provides uh, the majority of the systems uh, here in the state. But the reason I bring it up is because Richie came back. He said, "Hey, uh, even you know Jeff's out here. He, he, he you know he, he'd like to ask you something." So I came out. I said, "Jeff, how are you?" Um, he said, Vinny, listen, I just want to let you know, um, uh, I don't think Jordan's going to play tonight. Now, when, when Jeff tells me that as a professional better, I've got to take note of it. And I, and I said, uh, really? He goes, yeah, I, I, I just, you know, from what I'm hearing, I, I don't think, I think, I don't think he's going to go tonight. And so you just may want to be aware of that. And I think the game was like eight or something. And, uh, I said, oh. 
Well, Jeff, I appreciate that. I wasn't going to question how he knew what he knew. I mean, I'm just going to respect the fact that for him to say it, I would, you know, I, I, I respected his opinion. And he didn't have to tell me. Um, so I said, okay, Jeff, I said, do you want to make a play? And he said, really? I said, yeah. But he said, at that number? I said, go ahead, make it. And he didn't get greedy. You know, I think we were, we were taking five, ten thousand, 10,000, and uh, he made a play. He didn't, you know, he made a, a, a play on the game. I gave him his play, and then I made the adjustment. And he said, wow, wow. I said, listen, you didn't have to tell me. You could have bet this game down to, you know, to, to the to the uh, five, six-point differential. Sure enough, Jordan didn't play. But the point of it, Spanky, was that, and again, listen, out there today, do I expect anybody, if they have information, to say, listen, I know this, or I got, look, everybody's looking for an edge. But by the same token, uh, from that moment on, uh, you know, Jeff always got down. Uh, we were consistent. We, uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, penalize him. I appreciated the information. I don't, I can't, I can't, I got to follow every professional team and think about it now. Here, here, let's fast forward to today. When you get to college basketball on these Saturdays, are we going to be right on every single number? Are we going to know who's who's in and who's out? Are we going to know that a team's bus got stuck in a snowstorm in Morgantown uh, from the hotel to to get to the West Virginia campus? No, but some you know what? Uh, if if somebody's kind enough to tell me that and give me that, uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, have a play. Uh, that's how you learn, and that's how you communicate, and uh, that's that mutual respect that I that I have learned works uh, for me for being in uh, in this in this business for for forty years. If I didn't if I didn't take that approach, I I don't think you and I would be on this call right now. It's um it's 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 so uh, refreshing to hear you um to hear you say that, Vinny, because you know in this day and age, unfortunately. Um, in, in a current landscape, bookmakers view betters as the enemy, and and vice versa. Yeah. And um mm-hmm. and I, I don't why why have things changed? Like what what have you? Why is it like? Why does it have to be this way? Yeah, uh, I I wish I knew. You, you know, Specky, I, I have to tell. I'll give you another example. Uh, and and again, I'll try to illustrate it this way. Uh, when I went to Win Las Vegas, which was a terrific experience as well, uh, you know, I, I got the chance. That was that was a great chapter. Uh, and again, if you don't mind another story, it'll no, help I illustrate it. an answer to your to your to your question. Uh, so I had the opportunity to uh, consult and then be in on the literally the creation of of Win Las Vegas. And again, Win uh, for the folks. That, that are that are listening uh, is on stands on the same site where uh, the Desert Inn, uh, Wilbur Clark's Desert Inn, once stood, and um, of course next door to that was the historic Sands. Uh, but I was able to be in on the uh, the design, the creation, the opening, the operation of, of when Las Vegas, and it opened in April of 2005. So um, I did the hiring, and, I, and I, had a, uh, I had a young man working for me as a supervisor at the time. And um, I, you know, the one thing about this position is, you know, it, especially when you when you work for a corporation, 
you got you have to go to meetings. You got to do a lot of there's a lot of, of minutiae, but that's part of it, and I understand it. So I would I would have to you know spend time away from the book, which that's part of the job anymore. Okay, so I'm at a meeting one day, um, and I came back, and we had just put up that year's that season's regular season wins for the NFL. And um, I got back, and uh, you know I said, "Hey, how's everything? What's going on?" He goes, "Yeah, so so and so and so and so came in, and he and he hit he hit these regular season wins, and he hit them for the limit." I said, okay, that's fine. He goes, he wanted an extra thousand on this one. And I'll never forget the team. It was the Seattle Seahawks at the time. I didn't give it to him. I said, you didn't give it to him. You wanted an extra thousand? You didn't give it to him? He said, no, I didn't give it to him. I said, okay, listen to me. I want you to pay very close attention. Here's what I'm going to do, and then I'll explain why. So I knew the guy. I didn't have his... Uh, number. He didn't have an account. He bet. Uh, uh, he bet with us. Uh, I didn't have any account information because he didn't have an account set up at the time. So, but he was subbing on a, a local radio station for a guy who was uh, on vacation, and I knew the number of the radio station. So I called the radio station. I left the number. I left a message. I said, "Listen, when he comes in, tell him to call me uh, at this number." So he called me. I said, "Come on in." I said, I understand that you wanted an extra thousand. I said, please bear in mind that the supervisor was doing his job. He felt he was sticking to the limits, which I'm not going to criticize him for. You can understand. I was at a meeting. He says, what do you mean? I said, come in. You can have the other thousand at the original price. So he did. He came in. And I told the supervisor, I said, for a thousand dollars, you're going to get a hundred thousand dollars worth of publicity. Watch what happens. Don't you think what's what the guy talks about on the radio show the next day? <laughs> I said, it can't be adversarial. You got to use your head sometime. And it's July. We're going to hold this money until January, number one. He's still got to win it, number two. And number three, you got all this time between now and the start of the season, which is still a month and a half away, to, to, to get off it. Uh, Spanky, I wish I could say that that young man, you know, learned from that. He, he learned a little bit. He said thank you and everything, but to this day, uh, he's in the business and he's at another place, but he still has an adversarial attitude. I don't know why. Uh, I think maybe some, some people take it too personal. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure, perhaps, from uh, the corporate side of life. Um, you know, everybody's concerned about numbers and analytics and everything. And I get it. We're in, we're in a business to make money, but, um, you know, as long as people are laying 11 to 10 and you're being consistent and you're writing tickets and doing business at the end of the day, uh, there's a lot more sports books today than there were when I got into this business. (laughs) So, uh, uh, you know, I'd rather have the information again, like I've always said. Uh, you know, I, I've never, I've never told anybody you can't bet with me for winning money. But if I've thrown, and I've, I've gotten rid of people, but I've gotten rid of people for taking a shot, trying to quick change riders or, you know, alter tickets. I had one guy one time uh, try to turn a, a minus into a plus. Are you ready for this on an electronic generated? <laughs> <ticket? laughs> 
I said, listen, here's what you got to do. The next time, remember, there's a difference between black ink and blue. Ink. <laughs> That's number funny. one and number two. <laughs> now you can't now because you, you took a shot. Now, you, now you're going to get thrown out of here for being stupid. Make sure when people tell you to say you didn't win, you didn't lose, you were, you were being in, uh, a fool. Now, that, now make sure you tell them the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh man, I'm sure you've seen a lot of shit, man. That's incredible. So, so you made a great point, and 110 is such a, a big, big thing to have. Um, there's this soft model where where people throw guys out of the book, and then there's this bookmaker, you know, like guys like you, like Chris Andrews, like Jimmy V, and all these guys that say, "Listen, it's okay. We're gonna we have the 110. We're gonna be able to right. use that information accordingly, and we're gonna be able to f- turn a profit. And and it's the talent. Now, is there? Do you say there's a you know, is there a lack of talent in the business now? Are people just lazy? Are people not talented enough? Uh, do people lack the knowledge um, or the skill to be able? Like, you know, there's got to be something. Um, is or is yeah. it just just the easy way out? Let's just throw them out. Who cares? Nobody will know. It's a good good question, and I think it's a little bit of everything that you said. Uh, he, here's the other thing that that I have always found, and and it doesn't happen today. Now, I, I have to say this: that working for for the gone family is very different because they were in the business. They, they, Michael gone, you know, John gone, his oldest son, Mike Jr., Brendan gone, uh, and their, and their grandfather and Michael's father before him, Jackie gone, they've all done what we've done. So they understand it, you know, Spanky. And I think that's important. The other part of it is this, if you're in the business today, you've got to be willing to learn. It's one thing there's a couple of things, in in my opinion. This is what's always served me well. Again, being in this business for as long as I have, I've seen a lot. Do I know everything? Absolutely not. Uh, you, you try to learn something every day. I think the great uh, the great example of that is analytics. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a big analytics person in terms of uh, formulating analytics. I think at the end of the day, you've got to have the the art of the gut feel. And it's not all analytics. So be aware of it, but it's not the end-all, be-all. But I think the, I think the willingness to, to continue to learn, willingness to teach, but at the end of the day, if somebody's willing to teach you, you, you as a student have to be willing to learn. I think if people just fall into a, a comfort level, Spanky. The other part is one of the things I used to do when I went to financial reviews was I wasn't afraid to speak up, but I always had the I would always be able to substantiate what I said. So, for instance, people would, when when people would say to me, "I'll never here, here's a great example again, if you, if you don't mind, and if I'm getting too long, please let me know." Uh, 1991, the great uh, uh, the, the the year that future bets really uh, took off, and and if you recall 1991. It was the year that the Minnesota Twins and the Atlanta Braves won the American League and National League pennants, respectively, and the Twins went on to win the World Series. Now, the thing that's noteworthy about that uh, circumstance is that the year before, both teams were the worst teams in their respective leagues. They went from worst to first in one year. That hadn't happened in over 100 years, much less, and that was one team. Now you have two teams that went from worst to first in one year, and they were like 101, 201. They were 
It should have been even higher. But they were long shots to win the respective pennants and the World Series. And I remember, uh, uh, you know, we're paying them out. Obviously, uh, the uh, the Twins win that World Series. Again, we got beat to the pennant. We got beat to the World Series. And everybody was all in a panic. I say everybody. You know, the, the, the powers that be, uh, or what many people refer to as, quote-unquote, upstairs, he said, well, what happened? So, you know, actually, I, I get the I get the ink, I get the phone call. What happened? Well, what happened? First thing I said was, you know, I was a little bit of a, you know, a little smart ass, I guess. I said, well, first of all, uh, from from uh, from the mound, my breaking ball was was hanging, and uh, in the box, I was just, you know, I, <laughs> I, I I couldn't see the ball. I said, but in all reality, I said, here's the thing. This is this is a phenomenal marketing opportunity. And I remember the CFO and the president of the hotel looking at me. What? I said, here's the thing. First of all, every now at the time, most of those bets were taken from out of town, uh, unlike the Vegas Golden Knights a couple of years ago, because those were all local tickets, or most of them were. But at the time, so people, you had the ability, as you do now, you could mail your ticket in with a self-addressed stamped envelope, and we would send you a check. So I said, here's what we're going to do. All these tickets that come in, for every, every time somebody sends it in, with the check, we're going to put in the, two, the 1992 futures and say, thanks for betting with us. We look forward to your next visit. People have to know that Cinderella dances in Las Vegas sometimes. Long shots are going to come in. And you know what? You're going to create more business. And now, the reason I bring that story up is because you have to be able and willing to say to management, listen, here's what's going on. Here's what could happen. And it wasn't, you know, I told them ahead of time, listen, we got some exposure on these teams. It's, it's, it happens. I said, we're going to do what we can and, you know, in a game-by-game basis, which there wasn't a lot of maneuvering to do because they were both long shots and they both came in. But, again, you've got to be – you don't want to – you don't want people to be surprised. You got to let them know. Sometimes, you know what? You can lose, and you got to stick up for it and substantiate what what you're saying. Just make sure that, and you take the high road with it. I don't think that happens a whole lot anymore, Spanky. Uh, I think it's all about. Uh, there seems to be this growing concern. Well, you know, betters are smarter today. Yeah, okay, everybody's smarter today. People that that invest on Wall Street are smarter today. They shouldn't be penalized for it. And guess what? We got to be smarter on our side of the counter too. We got to be. We got. We have to adjust to trends. You have to be willing to uh, to understand uh, that uh, that people are more sophisticated today. That's fine, but nobody should be penalized for it. And if you if you take that approach, I believe you're you're going to have more business. And and the, and the greatest illustration to me of that is now there's 14 states that have legal sports wagering, so people are more familiar with it now. Uh, I know this. Nevada's handle has not gone down. I know that not only and at the South Point, the handle's gone up. Mm. So you get that kind of business, and it's good for the whole property because when people come in and they make they bet on ball games, um, they're probably doing a lot of other stuff on your property as well. Wow, that's I, I love the line when you said nobody, you know, you shouldn't be penalized for being good at what you do. It, to me, it's an un-American thing, and I think it's a lot of this this uh, attitude has come from like a European invasion, um, a British invasion, and it's yeah. not the good kind like the Beatles, 
Um, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's just like, you know what, if you're too good, we just, that's it. We, you know, instead of yeah. using that information, we're going to penalize you. It's sad. It's a sad state of affairs. Yeah. yeah uh, you know, the European model is, uh, is a very, uh, it, yeah, it's very different. Um, you know, they're relying on, uh, on all this volume that they have over there. Okay. And you can rely on volume, but, but be, be, be fair to people, you know, Listen, a lot of times when I, when I say these things, even within the industry now with some of the younger generation are saying, well, yeah, but aren't you giving too much away? So what are you giving away? What are you giving away? When people come in and you're, you're doing all this business, when there's 20 people in line at 12 windows uh, up until kickoff, and, and that's been the case now since, in the case of the South Point, since it's been open, you said, well, you, you know what, you, you could be winning a lot more. You, listen, you, you want to hold... You know, ten percent. I told. I'll never forget. I was at a financial r- review one time, and uh, you know, a guy was sitting there, and he and he said, uh, uh, and <laughs> this was great too. He was a slot guy. He says, uh, you know, because when you go to these quarterly reviews, everybody's sitting there, everybody's you know privy to everybody's numbers. All right, you're all working for the same company. So this genius slot guy says, hey, I notice, uh, well, your, your whole percentages. Shouldn't it be higher? <laughs> so everybody's everybody's rolling their eyes. I looked at him. I said, "Well, it's not a slot machine, you know. It's not an RNG <laughs> random number generator, you know. Uh, unlike you, every decision I make impacts the bottom line." I said, "But uh, what do you think the hold should be?" He said, "Well, oh, you know, he's trying to impress everybody. Well, it should be about eight percent." So really, I said, I'll tell you what, I'll hold. I'll, I'll hold. Next quarter, we're going to copy. I'm going to hold ten. It's going to be ten percent. I said, "But I'm going to then going to want to point to you, and you're going to give." The answer as to where all the business went because the handles out the out the window, it's gone. Now what do you want to do? So the president of the property just looked and said, uh, "Don't worry about the sports book. Uh, Vinny's got that handled. It's it, it's fine." Uh, meanwhile, that guy that guy wasn't around for the next quarterly review. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> So, so uh, I, I, you know, Spanky, I don't know. I, I, again, I think it's, uh, I, I think uh, it's just a very, uh, it's a very narrow-minded way of thinking. Uh, there's a lot of European companies that you mentioned that they're making money and doing things, but uh, I think they could be doing, uh, they could be doing a lot, a lot more business. Here's the thing that's that that, that that's fascinating to me, Vinny, is. You know, you you gave you, you talked about giving a five dime courtesy bet in the mid to late nineties. Um, you know, inflation, the cost of living is is growing up. Yet the the limits on betting sports have gone consistently down. Uh, how yeah. is how? What's the cause here? Uh, you know, getting down ten twenty dimes back in the nineties, you could have done that in a, in a snap of a finger. Uh, but now it's it, it's a struggle. Yeah. Yeah, it is, and I think uh, I think what you have is uh, bookmakers being in fear. Uh, they they also see where, uh, and in some cases, it's not all case. First of all, if you're booking, you can't book scared. Uh, when I say scared, they're afraid of throwing out on uh, with too many high-profile betters in too many high-profile games. So so what do you do? Well, you can keep your uh, you know keep your limits fair. Let's say let's say you want to take five thousand, you want to take ten thousand. Okay. And if it just so happens that uh, two professionals are at the counter at the exact same time looking for the exact same thing, what do you do? Well, it's fair to split it, right? Hmm. I mean, everybody gets down, and if anybody, you know, you move your number and somebody wants to take it again, they can, or lay it again, then, then they can do it. 
Um, but that's why I also have that report where you say, listen, if you need a little more, come to the counter so we could talk about it and I could see it. Uh, that's why you're, you know, your your limits on the on are a bit lower too. Why? Well, because now obviously you've got a thousand windows instead of ten windows. You know, and that that's understandable too. But you want to be consistent with what what you're what you're offering and and what you're doing. And if you know, not everybody's going to win every bet. And you know, the minute somebody does have a successful weekend, that, that doesn't mean you you cut them out. Maybe maybe if that maybe if that were the case, maybe maybe your limits were too high for you in particular to begin with. You know, you can always go up, but going down is now cutting people back. That that starts your inconsistent trend, and I don't think that's good business. Yeah, great point. So, Vinny, tell me, you know, you, you've, you've been such a pioneer in the business when it comes to Caesars, had such a big reputation, um, and, 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 and I know you were a big Super Bowl props. You guys used to, you, you were, uh, big in, in, in starting this whole prop trend that has become just wildfire today. Um, yeah. It's um, what? How did you get that idea to be able to just? Did people just keep asking, wanting more? Or did you just want to keep offering more? Well, you know, it's interesting, um, and I remember, you know, and I guess part of this was was also uh, kind of a little bit of my upbringing. You know, years ago, Spanky, there was a remember every week they had runs for the week, uh, and the Daily News and the Post used to post runs for the week. We used to bet on a team to how many runs they would score, who would have the most runs in in a, in a week. So, you know, you obviously you could bet on baseball every day, but you know, uh, you know. How many strikeouts you started? You know, as as kids, and you know, I remember. You know, you think what you know what's going to happen in a particular game and things. And you know, the first so when I transferred from the pit to to the uh, uh, to the book was Super Bowl twenty one, and I remember we were there at Caesars, and we and, and here's how you, here's how you, you you could bet the game. Uh, you, you could bet the game itself. You could bet the over and under. You could bet a halftime. There was a money line. You know, maybe who's going to score the first touchdown. So you had about a dozen ways to bet the game. But the year before, so Super Bowl twenty, there was a prop offered, and that was the Super Bowl between the Bears and the Patriots. If you remember that vaunted Bears team. And some some places around town put up Will William the Refrigerator Perry score a touchdown? Yes or no? Actually, not yes or no. Just will he? And the odds were anywhere from you know twenty-five, fifty, or more to one. And it was a one-way freight train. Everybody bet the free. I mean, I think the thing went off at even money. I mean, it was for everybody because if you remember that year, Dicka used to put him in on offense. If you remember that season with the Bears. Uh, you know, they had that the great team. The biggest roar I ever heard for a Super Bowl was not when the game started, was not when the game was over. When he was rumbling in off the sideline into the huddle, I'm like, look at this Ditka. He's <laughs> this guy's kidding me. But sure enough, he scores the touchdown. And the great late great Walter Payton, if you recall, never scored in that game, but the fridge did. Wow. And everybody was like, wow. So we put up next year, you know, first player to score. Now I'm thinking to myself, as, you know, the next year comes around, and it was, uh, you know, Redskins, Giants. You know, we got three hours here. What can we do in three hours? Well, 
the dice have 36 combinations. You know, you know, 21's got six decks in issue. How do we get more? How can we get more business? How do we get more churn within a game? So one day I walk in, and this was uh, this happened to be Super Bowl uh, 28. I walk in and I tell my staff, nobody's going to lunch today. That's it. We're eating in today. And they all looked at me. I called out uh, for lunch. I called out for, for, for pizza and, and heroes. I said, what would what do you want to bet on in this game that's never been offered before? And they went at it. And we came up with about 75, 80 different ways, which at the time was a record. I'm not going to take it. Listen, you know, Everybody does a great job today. I mean, there's a lot of creativity out there, about 400 different props. We put out 300, 350 of them. Uh, and I'm not going to say that I was some genius, but the thing that I thought about the most was that you got this game, you got this captive audience. There's got to be more ways to bet this thing than before the game, pre-flop, and at halftime. How do we do it? And the props was the way to go. And, of course, now they're – they do, in some cases, more than the game, depending on what property you go to. Incredible. Think about that. It's so, incredible. Amazing. Incredible. So, Vinny, tell me, you know, what are you doing today now? You know, after you've been in the game for so long, what what, what are your current roles in the in, in the industry for the Gone family and um yep and mm-hmm. and with Visa? Uh, well, so uh, the other thing that I uh, I, I felt all along, and, and I remembered 1987 when I was at Caesars, we had a fight. Uh, it was April of 87. It was Hagler Leonard. And uh, it struck me, Spanky, with all the media attention that was at the property. I mean, every major news and sports outlet had platforms set up at various – and at that, at that time, uh, I went to management and I said, listen, you know what, we have this – opportunity here why don't we put on a weekly sports show from the book uh that would include you know obviously people from the industry and the property uh betters and celebrities you know i mean uh, and, and there were a couple of radio shows that were doing it at the time even i'll go back to frank rosenthal he had a similar uh show uh back at the stardust in the late 70s and early 80s they didn't go for it. Uh, so 30 years later, Vison was born. <laughs> because, because I went to, uh, you know, uh, I got to, uh, 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 struck up an acquaintance with Brian Musburger, Brent Musburger's nephew. And, of course, I knew Brent. And I was one of those guys in the desert whenever Brent was doing games, especially Rose Bowls, and he would refer to those quote-unquote guys in the desert. You know, Brent was a... He was a broadcaster, but he was a client as well. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, Brian and I uh, said, you know, he, he had he he said to me, "Where where would you take this idea?" I said, "There's only one place, Brian. I'm not gonna." He goes, "Well, I'd love to. You know, what about Caesars or Wayne?" I said, "No, there's only one place." So I went to Michael Gon. Jimmy Vaccaro and I walked in Michael Gon's office. He looked up at us, he shook his head, he looked over his reading glasses and said, what are you two up to now? I said, i got this great idea, sir. Let's move, Let's relocate 55 slot machines off the casino floor and put in a studio. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> and he goes, well, uh, hold on a second. He calls Ryan Growney and the general manager. So they're saying, well, why should we do this? I said, well, whether or not PASPA gets overturned, with the positioning of sports wagering, and now here at the South Point, you're going to be the point of reference for legal sports wagering in North America. 
whether Paspa gets overturned or not. Because what happens, what does everybody want, especially during a Super Bowl, a big fight, March Madness? What's going on in Vegas? Well, now we're going to be able to tell them, and we're going to be able to tell them immediately and accurately. Nothing, nothing staged. It's all accurate. And in seven minutes, bam, the decision was made. So my focus is to continue to promote the industry. Um, I work for um, Michael Gaughan at the South Point as a uh, one of the odds makers there with uh, with uh, Chris Andrews and Jimmy Vaccaro. I obviously, as I mentioned, the VSIN aspect uh, to promote uh, the industry uh, uh, via the South Point, and I work for John Gaughan. Spanky as uh, his vice president. We uh, John owns Las Vegas Dissemination Company, and uh, LVDC is the company that links all of Nevada's paramutual race and sports books to the tracks uh, around the, the country for paramutual sports wagering, which has uh, been in existence since uh, late 1991, 1992. So, uh, working for the Gons is uh, uh, it's. It's pretty diverse, but it's also uh, very enjoyable and uh, keeps me uh, in, in the industry that I love. Wow, that's so great, Vinny. I really appreciate all these stories, and you've come such a, um, such a long way from Brooklyn and, and how you've seen so much and, and how you've done so much for the business. You're one of the the last guys left that, you know, that... that, that True, that treats players, or and you know me being a player, it means a lot to me that that you know you guys, guys like you, spread the word out there and put the word out there that um, you know just because a bookmaker and a better are on opposite sides of the counter doesn't mean we have to be against each other and um and 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 it's great to hear that and um, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today, Vinny. It means a lot to me. Well, same here at uh, Feelings Mutual Spanky. I appreciate the opportunity uh, for you taking the time for you to ask me uh, uh, to, to be a part of of what you're doing. Keep uh, you know keep promoting the industry, uh, and uh, it's it's an industry that uh, that we all love. And I look forward to seeing you when you when you're out here soon, buddy. Hopefully you, you'll get out here soon. And uh, absolutely, I think I, I I owe you a drink or two. Um, at the, you know you you picked, <laughs> you, you picked up a lot of drinks that one night, so I That's definitely. Fun. I uh a hundred percent. I uh yeah, I'll probably be out That's there all soon. Right, and, my friend. Uh, I look forward to it. I same here, Vinny. Thank you so much for the time, my friend. Best to you and all the listeners out there. Take care, buddy. Another legend on Be Better Betters, Vinny Mayula. What a great guy. Uh I had the pleasure of hanging out with Vinny that one night when I was in Vegas and um Vinny's the kind of guy that's a fun guy to hang out with, buying drinks, buying rounds for everybody, very generous, very nice guy, knows so much, very humble, um, yet very knowledgeable. It's, uh, it's such a pleasure to have him in the business and to be able to get this time with him. Thanks so much, guys, for listening, and thank you for the time. Until next time.